0: From the 6th and Peabody Studio and across the
1: OutKick Network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan
0: Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. The weekend is almost here, and we are not going to put it in cruise control in the weekend. We are going to slam the gas today, and it's going to be a great show. Bobby Carpenter will join us, a regular weekly guest coming up at 2.20. We'll talk some NFL. We'll talk college football. Maybe we'll get another A position group dinner story from Bobby those have been very popular with his different stories of um, a rookie dinner in the NFL so Bobby Carpenter coming up at 220 loaded guest list today Hunter Bedore who is the head of Spire Sports in Knoxville maybe the biggest collective currently uh, for an individual university with Tennessee we'll talk to Hunter about what they're doing with Spire Sports and really in broad strokes, the entire NIL game and collectives. What they are, what they do, how they help. We'll discuss about all these things with Hunter Bedore coming up at 3. 3.20 Central Time. Tom Luganbill with ESPN Recruiting. College football analyst. A terrific guest every time we've had him on. Talk college football. Talk recruiting. 4 o'clock today Central. Glenn Gilbo with Outkick.com covering the SEC. He'll be at SEC Media Days next week. We'll talk some SEC. We'll talk about an objection he had with my latest column as well. That'll be fun. And our old friend Ned Michaels from here in Nashville, golf analyst. He is part of the television coverage at the BBC for the British Open. So he's gonna join is us. Is it TV or radio? I believe it's I think it's T V that he's with with the BBC. So he's gonna join us at eleven twenty Scotland time PM at four twenty Central Time here. I think that's I think we got that right. Paul, a busy show today. Packed to got the a, gills. With a guests.
1: Is packed to the gills a thing? I've been thinking that all morning. Uh, and I forgot to check with anybody if that's a thing. It's packed to the gills, and expression.
0: It's still Jacob's it's,
1: giving me the magic thumb, which uh, I trust. Jacob's was it the magic thumb implicitly. up or down? Up, up. Yeah, yeah. So
0: okay, then it's a thing. If Jacob says it's a thing, Jacob's our expert for all sayings, especially ones that might be from. I love that thumb. We Lakes need to area. film
1: that thumb. And then use it as a, as a cut-in so that when we say we've got the thumb, we could show his thumb up or thumb down.
0: I also think that that that, that would be a great camera shot to have is right on Jacob's thumb. It's kind of thumb. a
1: drop, except uh, a visual drop instead of I feel like back to the drop. gills
0: also probably comes from the Great Lakes region, much like Jacob Swanson I'm not getting, I'm not getting a thumb on so that. So no that sounds thumb. right. I just made that up, possibly. Uh, Paul, you were so excited and amped up about today's show that you had a bit of an altercation at Iron Tribe. I wouldn't work call out this it morning. an
1: altercation. Listen, I, I've calmed down some, uh, and I'm into the Iron Tribe thing. I'm Hold all on. you I'm wouldn't all call in. it
0: an altercation, but you've calmed down some, and this is uh, no I've what, cal- seven hours I, later. No, not
1: since the altercation, I've calmed down as a person. The softening oh. we've had. Big discussions about.
0: All right, you've definitely softened as a person.
1: So I I knew this was coming because my friend Dave, who is was my entry point into Iron Tribe told me about it, but I haven't heard about it from Iron Tribe. So I signed up for Iron Tribe about three weeks ago. I'm going strong. Today was a big test case. Instead of getting up at 5.55 and going to a 6.30 class, I went to an 11.30 class. I said, I should be able to recover in time and get to the show and be fine. And here I am, and I'm fine. I feel energized. Um, So that went well. But at the end, the instructor said, hey, starting August 1st, we're combining the classes. There's a there's what's called a push class, which is what I do, and a power class. And power class is more uh, people with uh, with a legitimate weight bar, you know, with big weights on it, and it seems you're throwing some weight around. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot more intimidating than a push class, which is different movements and seems like an easier, less intimidating thing to me. Though, if you're in a power class, you certainly could do it with barbells, and you know, you could do either class. But what they're doing is they're combining the classes into one class. So you would have access to that class all day. It's actually more flexible and everything. But nevertheless, I'm resistant to change. I just made a big change in my life where I'm going and doing these classes. And lo and behold, a month into my doing it, they're making this big change. And, uh, you know, so as she's saying this, as we're kind of breaking down the thing, I said, "I I don't like this. You know, and I feel like I was kind of sold the bait and a switch. I joined three weeks ago. And nobody mentioned this. Um, and she said, well, you know, we can talk about it. You should talk to Krista about it. And I said, it's, it, it's a better thing for me not to talk about it today while I'm upset about it. Let me calm down and then I'll talk about it. But as I went to clean up and everything, stood in front of a fan and did all that. Of course, Krista emerges and she approaches me as I'm leaving and, you know, tries to talk me through it. She's like. First, she says, um, somebody is supposed to have talked to everyone who's in a push class about this one-on-one. I thought Zach had talked to you. Well, Zach hadn't talked to me. Coincidence that the one guy who's newest hasn't been talked to, I felt like. And I said, listen, this isn't a good time for me. I got to get out of here and I'll be too hot to talk about it now. Nevertheless, we had a little bit of a conversation. in it. So she explains it to me and everything. And I said, ultimately, I I stayed calm. But my finishing, i go out with a punch, you know. And I said, I looked at Krista and I said, I'll try it. And I'll give it a thing. I'll try it, but I'm not expecting to like it. <laughs> and the color just drained out of her face like I had. It, it, though I was calm and though I delivered it maybe just like that, as opposed to the rant that I would typically deliver As I walked out, I felt really bad because it still had the impact of me just bitching somebody out, I felt like.
0: Well, first off, I was expecting way more heat coming from you on this, so you definitely have calmed as a person over the years, and that's not even that bad, what you said to her.
1: Well, I, I didn't think it was that bad, but the way her face changed, I felt like. It was a lot worse than I thought it was. Maybe it's just her personality or whatever.
0: Is this uh, may I ask, is this an attractive woman? Like yes, a fit attractive she, oh, woman? Yeah, definitely fit. I, I doubt she's accustomed to somebody taking her on male clients talking to her in that way of saying that they're not going to and like earlier a one on one client. Earlier I
1: said, you know, I feel like it's a bait and switch thing. You should have mentioned this three weeks ago when I was agreeing to put down, you know, significant money. I wish I had said, you know, I, I don't like change, and I just made a big change to this, and I'm liking what I'm doing, and now you're telling me it's going to be different, and that's a lot for me.
0: Yeah, I, I think you handled it fine. I'm sure she's just unaccustomed to any type of pushback or negative friction from someone. Uh, that, that's You probably just caught her off guard more than anything else. I did this also where I'm still a member of this gym, but you sign up at the gym and you get a free one-on-one training session, but it's all just, hey, you know, you can schedule me now. You know, they bring people in from the outside that 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 train people at this gym, and I knew I wasn't going to like it. Not that I wouldn't like it, I would I would love to have a personal trainer. I'm not going to pay the extra money because I don't work out enough, honestly, to pay for a personal trainer regularly. But I got this this guy that trained me <laughs> this one time, and I have no idea. You know, I go there and do uh, the elliptical, I get on the treadmill. You know, I do some planks. I do some weights that I know how to do. She's going back to high school. And then I'm out of there in 45 minutes, you know, every day. But I kind of mix and match however I'm feeling that day. And this guy was like, is there a particular body part you'd like to focus on, you know, this afternoon? I'm like, I, you know, my body is yours, sir. You, you, you tell me. Whatever whatever you'd like to do. All of them. Yeah. And he says, all right, we're going to do tries." And I look at this guy. And, Paul, I kid you not. I mean, his triceps are the size of my quads. This guy. So that's. It looks like all he does is tries. Like every first lesson he does right. with someone is going to be triceps, and we're doing ropes, we're doing all these different exercises that I'm normally not doing, and I mean my triceps are on fire. Why would you give you such a the specific part that you would work out why, normally?
1: Why would he give you such a specific and narrow exercise? You're you're a, you, you need to be a generalist in that circumstance. Yeah. I'm a dude coming in for a workout. I'm looking for a general, you know. As much as you can hit workout that I could do, you know, maybe take yeah, over was, from you he, and do on my own. He
0: was like, what are your goals? I'm like, you know, to not like be fat. To, yeah, I'd
1: like to be fit.
0: <laughs> yeah, like I just want to be, you know, I don't want to have a ton of body fat. I want to be somewhat toned. I'm not looking to, you know, bodybuild or anything like that. And I felt like I got a bodybuilder's tricep workout. When you get but, you away know, from, needless from say, it. He was a very nice guy, but uh, I didn't follow up and schedule any yeah. one-on-one When you get sessions. away
1: from it, I don't know if other people have gone through this. It's, it it really becomes counterintuitive that busting your ass and really this is a 45 minute workout, but the high intensity part of it is 25 minutes. It becomes counterintuitive that killing yourself for that 25 minutes makes you feel so good for the rest of the day. And I, if I could just stay dedicated to that cycle, it's so much better. Um, so I, am really enjoying it and this give me more time flexibility. Uh, also, I walked into the bathroom to clean myself up after I cooled down and I was like, oh my God, there's a shower in here. I, I did not think that there yep. were showers there, but there might be one or two, which really expands what I can do. So
0: we're going to get you I'm a, excited, uh, but I,
1: I don't like this combination thing. Well, I, don't,
0: I don't like change. I'm glad that you, uh, handled it the way you did and it wasn't worse than, than it could have been. Um, We'll get you a British Open leaderboard, and it's a very interesting leaderboard right now. Uh, Someone close to the top of the leaderboard, in fact, someone that's made waves because they're a part of the Live Tour and is performing very well at St. Andrews. That's Dustin Johnson, who's at nine under par right now. I can tell you Cameron Smith, two Camerons at the top. Cameron Smith is done for the day, 13 under par. Paul, your guy. I have bet
1: Cameron Smith in the, the last on dozen Amazing. majors, and I didn't bet him. Is it this funny one.
0: how that works out? Uh, and Cameron Young, the American, at 11 under. I bet Colin Morikawa at every tournament, and the one that I don't, he's in contention on Saturday and Sunday. This the, the U.S. Open was one where he was right there, tied for the lead. I think on Saturday I could have cashed out for a big amount. But it was the one tournament I didn't bet Colin Morikawa. So I bet him in this tournament. He's nowhere close to contention.
1: uh, We're real uh, batters. Yes. We're we're pros. We're sharp. So uh,
0: we'll get to the British Open leaderboard, and we'll talk a lot of British Open with Ned Michaels coming up a little bit later who's doing work for the BBC. But first, big story breaking today. The Houston Texans have settled with 30 women, 30 accusers of Deshaun Watson, uh, the threats of a lawsuit, some of them filing a lawsuit, Tying in the Houston Texans and the NFL, this is Cal McNair and the Texans getting out in front of this and settling for an agreed-upon price. And uh, there's been some statements made, Paul, on both sides. Yeah. I know you wanted to get Did into. Did they
1: find six additional women here? Because the highest number we've heard is what 24, 26. So there's six or four more in this suit. So here's the the gist of what the Texans said in their statement. Although our organization did not have any knowledge of Deshaun Watson's alleged misconduct, we have intentionally chosen to resolve this matter amicably. This is not an admission of any wrongdoing, but instead a clear stand against any form of sexual assault and misconduct. Pretty predictable what you would expect them to say. Look, they they don't want this thing hanging over their heads, hanging around, being an issue for them as, as they get close to the opening of camp. They don't want to face any questions about it. They don't want to deal with it. And um, for them, it probably amounts to a pittance in the, in the budget, right? Yeah. It, it'll leak out what it's, this settlement was because 30 different people can leak it despite the NDA that Shirley is
0: involved with it. Let me jump in and say this. This is Smart Business by Cal McNair. Um, you, one would argue from a legal perspective, do you open the door? If you're saying we don't admit any guilt – And we're not admitting that Deshaun Watson's guilty. We're just showing how much we're concerned with sexual assault allegations of any kind. The one thing that you would fear is does it set a precedent that now you were ripe for the taking if someone were to sue your organization to settle quickly, right? Because it is a quick settlement on the Texans' part. I argue it's it's a smart move to go ahead and not let this thing drag out, especially because the one report tying the Texans, when they say we had no knowledge of this, I don't know that that's true if you believe that the head of security was told by Deshaun Watson what was going on with the blackmail attempt, and what did he do? He printed off nondisclosure agreements to give to Deshaun Watson to help him out. Yep. And the organization setting up hotel rooms, memberships at a private club, things like this. So anyway, I think it's a smart move by the Texans, but continue
1: Case-by-case by case by case basis, I think, in terms of the precedent, though it's a legitimate concern. So Tony Busby... Um, in his statement, said there is a marked contrast in the way in which the Texans address these allegations, and the way uh, Deshaun Watson has done so, which is obvious. But he's uh, spelling spelling that out to make to make it clear. And uh, his his settlements with the what did he settle with? Twenty two of twenty six. Or twenty of twenty-four. Uh, anyway, of four remaining that he hasn't settled with, including Ashley Solis, who is the the at the head of the line here in terms of telling her story. Um, he took a long, long time to settle. He could have settled with uh, a, a large majority of the the accusers in order to facilitate when he was trying to facilitate a trade to Miami during the season before the trade deadline. Uh, failed to do so when he couldn't settle with all of them but it certainly was a much more um, I don't want to say sloppy a much longer drawn out process that that took forever and uh, he's he's certainly maintaining his innocence while doing it also it doesn't but he didn't put out nearly as as neat a statement as as the Texans did
0: well There's two big wins for the Deshaun Watson camp in this, and I I, I hesitate to say anybody's winning in all of this, but he had the two cases, you know, they didn't move forward with the grand jury uh, on two of the cases for criminal charges, which that's good for Deshaun Watson and his team, but from a football perspective and from just a getting on with your life perspective and probably even the accusers getting on with their lives to an extent... I mean, the best thing to do and the smartest thing to do and the best business, the best football decision to do would have been to take the Texans' approach and settle, settle, settle very quickly. To have done this before a year ago, before he was traded, to settle with them, to sign an NDA with everyone, to take your punishment. It could have been last year, Paul. If he wanted to do this quickly, they could have said, you know, you're suspended for the back half of this season, or it could have minimized the suspension that he's going to face. So... I don't think there's any arguing that, and, and again, it, it's it, I can't tell someone who is claiming innocence to settle with someone and just pay money if you truly believe that you're innocent. So I'm not trying to tell Deshaun Watson what to do. I'm speaking from the football business perspective. It would have been best for him to settle these cases quickly and get whatever was happening out of the way so he knew what his future well, was going to be. Here's,
1: here's the one question I have, and I don't know if Ashley Solis um, – touched on this or not in her most recent uh appearance uh maybe she's i think she's spoken on the record before but uh, uh, on real sports she 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 really opened up and and she was excellent Uh, she she appeared and very credible um and i thought she she did a very good job for herself is she willing to settle at all you know, you could say she's asking for a, a price that Sean Watson's unwilling to meet. She struck me as somebody that might on principle just say, I am not settling. So Watson and Busby may be making her offers that are, you know, viewed in this kind of situation as incredibly fair, beyond fair. And she may be saying on principle, I am going to court on this thing and I'm going to have my day in front of a judge and maybe a jury. But I'm not taking your money for anything to make this go away, and I'm not coming close to signing an NDA.
0: Yeah, I I would also say, you know, principal, don't pay the bills. And if I'm her lawyer or I'm her representation, and that's a great stance if that's what she wants to do. If she wants to prove the point that this is going to stop and I want this to proceed criminally through the legal system, good for her. I think we we all have things if if we were committed
1: against us, we would say – I want to see justice on this no matter what. Yeah, and there's and no amount of money you could offer me that I but wouldn't, wouldn't want to see It stop me justice. if I'm
0: her lawyer from saying, take the settlement. Well, I'll say if this is offering.
1: a guy that had a crime committed against him. If something worse happened when that naked guy broke into my house, I wouldn't have taken money up to a, 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 up to a thing to do away with it. I would have wanted to see justice uh, against him.
0: Interesting. I would have taken the money. <laughs> I guess I'm Well, what way.
1: degree of badness are we talking about? If my son was killed no, out of that no, no, incident, no, no.
0: You, I, I would, yeah, I would want, yes, imprisonment for sure, uh, n- no doubt about it. Um, fun start to the show, yeah, yeah. yeah real, which real. Uh, we really end L-beat. on, a, you know, we yeah. like to end light, you know, with with murder uh, to end every segment. Uh, we'll start a lot lighter, I'm sure, with Bobby Carpenter when we come back. We're talking college football, we're talking NFL. Maybe we can even coax some story time with Bobby out of the end of this segment like the last couple of weeks. Bobby Carpenter will join Outkick 360. That's coming up next.
2: Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th
0: We're back out kick 360 on a Friday. I'm Chad Withrow. Paul Koharski is here. Jonathan Hunt will be back with us on Monday. Well deserved week off for Hutton. And we have got Bobby Carpenter who joins us weekly. Former NFL star, former Ohio State Buckeye talking football with us, talking about a little bit of everything, maybe a little rookie dinner story. Never know what you're going to get out of Bobby and he joins us right now. Bobby, how are you on this Friday, man?
2: I'm good. We're in the middle of uh, media day season. So, you know, you've got the Big 12 going, SEC, Pac-12, Big 10 all coming up. I mean, there's a lot of stuff uh, going on. So you get to hear some of the unfettered thoughts of you know coaches who may be in conferences where longtime rivals may be dipping out and th- maybe some of their thoughts on well how they think all this is going and what they think should ultimately happen. And so a lot of times the ADs are buttoned up, the commissioners are buttoned up. But you get some of these long-tenured coaches like a Mike Gundy, and they're gonna really, you know, spill out exactly what they feel.
0: So I want to start there with the Big 12 in uh, their media days and, and Brett, your mark. I love his mentality. I like his his business and marketing and promotion background with what he does. And I, I love the attitude of, hey, we're open for business. We're trying to make moves, we're trying to position ourselves the best possible way as we enter into these media negotiations. So they're clearly looking to add teams, looking to do whatever they can to make themselves more valuable. I guess my question on that, Bobby, is just how valuable is the Big 12 right now? And let's say the reports are true that they've reached out to Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah. Do you make that jump right now to the Big 12 if you're those schools? Or do you wait and see if there's some form of a merger? Or you know if the Big 10 maybe comes calling one day, which would be a better situation?
2: It would be a better situation. You know, it's interesting about those four schools. You know, the two Arizona schools were the last members to join, you know, go from the Pac-8 to the Pac-10. And then Utah and Colorado have come in much more recently, with Colorado ultimately being part of the Big 12 before. So I don't think you have like those long tenured allegiances that you may have had with like a USC or UCLA, Stanford, Cal, you know, a lot of those California schools that have been part of it for so long. So it wouldn't surprise me if behind the scenes, they're working through some stuff right now and trying to figure out what does a TV package look like in the Pac-12? What does a TV package ultimately look like for us in the Big 12? We have to be financially solvent. We're trying to compete, obviously, with the Big Ten and SEC. We know we can't get there. Can we get close? And can we be in a better situation than some of our regional rivals outside of USC and UCLA? And so I think that that's probably what they're weighing. And the reality is all of these ADs and presidents, you know, they're talking to commissioners, they're talking to each other. I mean, I don't know if you could trust anything that any of them are saying to each other, because at the end of the day, they're responsible for their own institution. And they're going to do what's best for themselves. Generally, we've seen it happen over and over again. And so it wouldn't surprise me right now if all those schools are standing pat, you know, that you haven't heard them come out and say, you know, anything definitive you, know, you lead you to believe they're probably looking at staying in the Pac-12 if they could get a good enough offer. But make no mistake about it. They they have their ear down on the track. They're listening to what is happening and what is potentially coming. And it wouldn't shock me if, you know, at the end of the season or this time next year, heck, maybe even, you know, in the spring, all of a sudden you hear an announcement. like, Hey, the AZ schools, uh, Colorado, Utah, they're joining the Big 12. And this is what it is now. Everybody else, we we extended offers. No one wanted to come. And this is kind of where we're at. So all this stuff, I think, is kind of floating in the air. And they're waiting for one other big thing. But if you think about it, too, gentlemen, we've been, we've thought that this was going to be some super quick deal, you know, for the last five or six years when you see some of these dominoes fall. And you know, after Texas and OU left last year to join the SEC, like, OK, we're waiting for all this stuff to happen quickly. And ultimately, they did add some teams in Utah, Cincinnati, Central Florida, and uh, 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 BYU. I mean, Houston, rather, not Utah, and BYU. And so they pulled them in. But this wasn't some monumental shift. And it wouldn't surprise me if we have to wait until, like, after the season, until things slow down, May, June, July, to where we get another big announcement next year. Because universities move at glacial paces. This isn't just one person deciding they're going to do it. You got to talk to the AD, the president. You, know, you got to get board approval with that. In some states, it may be government approval. So there's a lot of things that are ultimately moving on. So I I feel like this is probably done until after the season. Because once we get in the season, I don't think you're going to hear anything about this. People will be talking quietly. But it, I look forward more to pick up probably right at the end of spring ball. You
1: mentioned Mike Gundy unleashed. Uh, he says the Bedlam rivalry is uh, is over. Uh, as far as he's concerned, I know he doesn't make the, the schedule or make those <laughs> decisions. Venables says, hey, we want to we wanna continue to play it. You think uh, it goes away for a time be- with these hurt feelings with the con- conference realignment and ultimately resurfaces? Obviously, college football's worse without Oklahoma and Oklahoma State playing.
0: And, Bobby, I love that he you know, opens his media availability joking about, why are they even here? Has anyone asked Oklahoma and Texas why they're at this media day? Shouldn't they be somewhere else right now? Yeah, why are we good. allowing them here?
2: Well, one of the things he touches on is like, they shouldn't be, I mean, they can come to media day, but he was, I think, kind of staunch in his fact that like they shouldn't be sitting in the conference yes. meetings about direction of where we're going. Cause they're not part of it anymore. Like and I, I can't imagine. I was talking right. to Jacob Hester about this. Like, could you imagine two schools that have left the sec sitting in on meetings and like hearing the conversations of what's going on? Like, Listen, guys, you're on your way out. You can vote on things if we put it before you, but you're not going to be in these proprietary meetings. I will say this with all of the nationalization of college football and the fact that we've gone away from some of the regional elements of it, and we've just expanded these footprints massively. The thing that has always been sacred to me are some of these rivalries. And it goes back to the fact that you're sitting there and, you know, hammer on this all day, the nostalgic element of it, where you're watching it with your aunts and uncles and grandparents, parents, you know, siblings. And they're talking about a game that happened 40 years ago that you've only seen highlights of and games that have happened 50 and 60 years ago. And these guys who played in it and the, the heroes that they became and they became stuff of legend because of their performances in these rivalry games. It helps when you're in the same conference, but you don't necessarily have to have that. Like uh, you look at Iowa and Iowa state, you look at Georgia, Georgia tech. I mean, Miami and Florida state have played forever. Sometimes as independents, sometimes in different conferences, now ultimately in the same conference, like what matters is how good the teams are and, and the proximity of the fan bases and the proximity of the players growing up. And maybe with more national recruiting, that's diminished a little bit as well. But still, like, I think you could still have Bedlam and it could still be fantastic. You're telling me last year when you're watching, you know, Texas or uh, Oklahoma and Nebraska play and played for a long time Man, I'm locked in on that game. And there was a lot of former players there on the sidelines because it meant something. Like I would like to see that game be picked up. I would like to hope that Bedlam can still exist. I was sad that A&M and Texas wouldn't play each other, you know, after A&M jumped to the SEC. So, like those things can still exist. There may not be a conference title on the line, but I think it's even a little bit bigger than that now when you have the bragging rights of your conference to where, Hey, you know what? You didn't think we were good enough for you. We ultimately went in and won. Like what would that look like the first year that they're playing uh bedlam and maybe Oklahoma state beats Oklahoma and all they have to sit there is like, yeah, you guys ran away from us. Cause you couldn't compete. You know, that's, that's the type of stuff that you can then talk about and, you have that for the next year until you ultimately play again. So I hope that even though we are you know, expanding these conferences, the thing that still makes college football great is the rivalry. So I hope that those continue and those can maintain, even though some of these schools in, that are within the same state, these interstate rivalries will be in different conferences.
0: Bobby, is Notre Dame truly special? And, and what I mean by that question is, it's clear that right now they don't feel compelled to jump to any one conference because of the money they have coming in from NBC and the media deal they have. But is that sustainable? Where college football is headed, where we're seeing the rise of really two main conferences and maybe some others make some moves where they stay into a big four, is this sustainable long-term for Notre Dame? Is it a truly special program given their national interest with the Catholic Church, with that brand, is this going
2: to continue? So, you mentioned the national element. Like, that's the one thing the Big Ten can now give them that before no other conference could. Going coast to coast, you've got some of their rivals in. And I'm fairly certain the more I look at this, the longer it goes, that if Notre Dame comes on, Stanford will be joining the Big Ten as well. And just to be able to continue that rivalry and, you know, add a presence out there on the West Coast and maybe even more teams, but I would think that's the case. But You listen to Jack Schwarbrick talk, and then Gene Smith, who's the AD at Ohio State, who's a Notre Dame alumnus who played football there, and talking about how they need to join a conference. And the reality is they have two years left on their NBC deal, I believe. They're making like $25 a year. It's peanuts compared to everywhere else. Now, they've got a huge endowment. They can always raise money. They can do that. But you know when you're trying to make up $75 million a year versus the Big Ten and SEC and still compete nationally, they know that's tough. And so they know when conference... Uh, The playoff uh, committee deal is up here in 2025. There is going to be a reshaping and restructuring. And the two guys that are going to be driving it via their conferences are the commissioners of the Big Ten and SEC and Sankey and Warren. They're going to be the ones that are dictating it. And so how big it gets, automatic slots, who all is coming in, what it's going to look like. Notre Dame knows that they need to be in a conference by that point. They don't need to be in a conference today, and I think that's why they're ultimately slow playing this. They really know that the only fit for them is the Big Ten now with what they've done. You know, they, they're they not going to jump down and play and join the SEC. They really don't want to be in the ACC as far as, you know, the the it's a coastal conference now, and it's not going to be near as financially lucrative. So I think they will join. The reality is for them, as you said, Chad, there is a special nature to Notre Dame. And they know they're the prettiest girl left. And when you're the best looking girl left, you have the ability to kind of hold out and maybe wait a little bit and you don't have to rush to judgment. So I think Notre Dame is playing this slow. It's probably the right way for them. I know everybody wants to see them. Hey, join the big 10, get Stanford in. Let's get to these 220 team or 18 team conferences or whatever the heck we're going to be. And that way we can go. But the reality is universities move at a glacial pace and they know they have a couple of years left. There's no sense in getting out before then. And so I think that, like I said, the announcement may come next year that they'll be joining in 2024 you know, with the USC and UCLA schools. Cause you remember they don't have a conference that they have to leave. Like, so they can just decide to up and join. And that's ultimately what it is. So Deion Sanders had
1: some interesting comments this week about the lack of African-American kids in baseball, which obviously is is resulting in the lack of African-Americans in, in major league baseball. I, he raised some interesting points. One of them I disagree with though. He's talking about uh, it being cost prohibitive. I, I don't disagree with that. My kid plays, uh, travel ball as a 12-year-old. It, it costs about two grand a season, and that's it, a hefty price for sure. He was just at a camp this week, 300 bucks for four days. About a third of the kids, by my estimate, were, were black, which I found encouraging. But what sport isn't cost prohibitive for a 12-year-old now, Bobby? Soccer is roughly the same from my experience. I can't imagine Football isn't roughly on par, though you're playing a lot fewer games with the equipment and insurance concerns. Um, and there's no lack of African-Americans playing playing football, so people are finding a way. So I'm just wondering on that item, um, how, is, how is baseball being squeezed out when every sport, to me, at a travel level or at a, at a high level
2: for kids, which there's too much of, costs a lot. So, you know, number one, as we look at this, I do think there is some truth to that number. He he points out like you play sports that your father, you know, or father figure, whoever it is in your life that they watch, that they usually play with you. And sometimes you have the kid that, hey, his dad played football. He grows up playing soccer and falls in love with it. Maybe he has friends or neighbors that ultimately help him do that. Um, So, yes, like there's that element of it. But, you know, a lot of this is, you know, man, I think like there are not a lot of there's not a lot of young black soccer players either, and there's not a lot of you know young black players playing the cross. Like it's incredibly cost prohibitive, like you said, Paul. I mean, so my kids play soccer right now; it's two grand a pop each one of them, and it's it's insane. But the, the problem is there's no rec league presence anymore, and so you have to play travel to have any good competition. And so I do think that there is an element of that. Football is the is by far the easiest to play as far as cost because a lot of it's always run through the school. So the school absorbs a lot of it, you know, pay to play. It's like a hundred bucks. There is no second real travel season. Yeah. You have seven on seven camps and things like that, but it's not the same as far as equipment. A lot of times the school has the equipment. You just rent it from them or they let you you borrow it. Your little leagues will have equipment that you can use. Helmets are getting a little more expensive. And so, yeah, there's fundraisers and things like that that you ultimately have to dive into and have to work with, but it's a much better and more tenable situation than anything else. That's why football is there. And if you're really great in basketball, they get sponsors and they have teams being sponsored all the time. And so that's why it's a little bit different in basketball when you start looking at the travel element of that. So there are some different uh, things there that I think he's not a hundred percent correct on, but I think the general motif of what he's saying is how expensive youth sports are, especially baseball and the travel element and all these different teams. And like the fact, like if, if you're in a single parent home And all these travel sports, like there's no way my wife and I could do this independently. I mean, it is a straight up Uber fest for us, just trying to figure out how to get the kids from place to place, which is one of the main problems with kids sports now. And I miss the days like where you would just practice in the backyard. I try to tell my kids, like, go out and just practice. You don't have to be at practice to actually practice. And that's where things have changed. And people pointed out soccer, like it's an international sport. like, yeah, but It's not that way in the United States. It's a club sport. Other places they play in the Dominican Republic baseball, dude, you're playing with minimal equipment and everybody has access to it. It's a club sport now in the United States. And it never really was that for a long time. And so I think that that's where we've begun to see that shift. And I think that's part of the reason. And honestly, due to just the tempo of the game, a lot, not a lot of kids are playing it in general anymore. And so they'd rather play football or basketball or something like that. So that's something that's a little more up pace and fast up tempo and fast paced as well. I rode
1: my bike to little league, which was awesome. Nobody's, nobody's riding their bike to little league anymore. You
2: I park- make my kid ride their bike. Their yeah. kids are the one of their football practice fields is pretty close. So. Paul, I will make them ride their bike. If we have other stuff going on, I'm like, you ride your bike there. I'll meet you over there.
1: That's awesome that it's, that's close enough. You posted a, uh, something of one of your boys, uh, doing really well at a swim meet. I wanted to ask you about how he found his lane into swimming. And then Chad told me that you were a big swimmer How did the Carpenter family. Get get into swimming as one of their
2: sports. So, you know, my dad will say this all the time. He played 10 years in the NFL, um, but my mom is probably a better athlete relative to her gender than he is. And, you know, there was no like title nine, not to the level it is today. And so her ability to go, you know, do stuff, but she was a great swimmer. Uh, She's been a swim coach for 45 years. So that was the one thing, all of my brothers and I had to do is we swam every summer and I swam in the winter until I started playing more basketball. But every summer, we're up at seven 30 in the morning at swim practice from seven 30 to nine 30 grinding away. And so I told my kids, it's a life skill. We go to the beach. So I don't have to watch you down there when we're a watercolor as closely. You can at least tread water enough to save your own life till someone could get there, but it's a great cross training sport. I tell people all the time, if you want your kids to be strong, you want to develop upper body strength in kids, like get them in the pool. It's incredibly difficult. There's a lot of, you know, breathing elements that you have to tie in. And it's super competitive. Like I love race-based sports because guys, at the end of the day, the only person you have to blame is yourself. You either got faster or you got slower. Your time is your time. And so in an era now where we always want to look around and try to place blame on someone else, dude, you didn't swim as fast as you did before. Let's figure out why. Did we not work as hard? Were we not ready to go? Whatever it was, but that's what swimming has always been. And my dad loved it because of the high degree of accountability that it forced you to ultimately have.
0: Bobby Carpenter, never know where we're going to go. We've talked a lot of conference realignment and swimming today. It's always fun, though. Hey, Bobby, thanks so much. Have a great weekend.
2: You guys enjoy it. Thanks for being thanks.
0: on. Bobby Carpenter joins us every Friday right here on Outkick 360. When we come back, we'll talk about Tiger Woods' emotional sendoff at St. Andrews. He will not make the cut and play into the weekend. So he had a moment on 18 today, and we'll discuss when we come back. This is Outkick 360. So after going six over par yesterday at St. Andrews, Tiger Woods today goes plus three, so plus nine after two rounds, well below the cut line for Tiger Woods. So his British Open is over, which means his play in significant tournaments at the old course uh, at St. Andrews is also more than likely over. This is Outkick 360. Paul, I was watching live this morning uh, when Tiger you know, drove just short of the green on 18 on a par four and that long walk up to the second shot was pretty cool to witness the amount of respect paid to Tiger Woods from the fans at St. Andrews because it was a nonstop roar as he walked up the fairway and got a little bit emotional.
1: He was emotional about it. Listen, that shot, especially from behind, following him or anybody up there with the
0: Historic building, the stone-looking clubhouse. Yeah.
1: that looks huge, and clearly, uh, you know, it's a it's a picture that has a lot of history in it, a lot of age, a lot of uh, it's it's a real classic look. And so, uh, you know, if you're picking a uh, if you could take a picture to Tiger Woods to get autographed, you know, I wouldn't take it. This one. But uh, British Open that he's won there, right? Um, won I, twice, I think. I'd, I'd yeah. take I'd take that shot. Um, so look, it's a special moment. I'm going to have a butt here, <laughs> um, because it's it's my nature. He 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 had come to terms obviously yesterday with the fact that he wasn't making the cut in this tournament, um, and you know he probably teed off at the tournament expecting to do well because it's his nature. But also, you know, I said this a week ago, 10 days ago, when he was riding a cart at a a Pro-Am in in Ireland that, you know, how optimistic can you be when you're talking about reserving your energy for something that's 10 days ahead? And he's not the same guy after the accident. This is a tough course to walk. Um, And he traded... Uh, look, you, you've got to be uh, accepting and and cordial and and nice. The the Tiger Woods that's going to be pissed off after missing a cut at a major is is gone, based on his health and his mindset and reality and all of those things. Still, I watched him and listened to him and was pleased that he was content. But he he traded. Sentimentality for competitiveness over the last two days. And, and that walk up being enough for him, not that he had a choice, was somewhat unsettling
0: to me. Yeah, he said, asked about the tournament. He said, obviously I didn't play my best. And he said the pin locations from the RNA were a little bit tougher than usual. He said, obviously for tougher me? on me yeah. than, than most of the other players here, uh, especially when you look at the leaderboard right now. Cameron Smith is at 13 under par. Which is uh, Cameron Young's at 11 under, Rory McIlroy at 10 under, Victor Ho- uh, Hovland at 10 under par, Dustin Johnson right there at 9 under, Scotty Scheffler who's been red hot this year at 8 under par, Taylor Gooch who's part of the Live Tour also 7 under par, uh, so some good scores at St Andrews. Yeah, it's it's tough to watch. It's different in golf because y- you know you play so so long and you get up there in years and you see guy you know you see a Tom Watson. Years ago, have that run at the British Open all the way to Sunday, in contention. So there's always a chance you have you capture that magic on a course you play really well. So you always kind of see your uh, your heroes go into the twilight in golf naturally, and it's not as an abrupt thing in team sports sometimes where guys just fall off a cliff and they're not the same. We know all the time you know players that are synonymous with one team they go to a different one they're terrible in that team and you want to forget. About yeah. that time, and the
1: accident's a factor here. It's the not the natural. accident's a factor, and it's it's the de- evolution of his game.
0: I, I'm I'm with you though. I, I still watch it and watch Tiger, and I just want to see. And maybe I'm being selfish here because I was there to watch him win the Masters in the big comeback. I still want to see one more comeback where he's right there.
1: That was it in a
0: major. You saw it, and I, I'm afraid that we've seen it, yeah. and that that sort that sunk in today as I'm watching him. Also, he's tearing up. You know, in the course of play. It's pretty untiger like. Usually, the emotion all comes out in the end, and he's laser focused. Obviously, he's at nine over par at that point. He's not going to make the cut. He knows that on the 18th,
1: he missed the putt, right?
0: Missed the putt that would have been put him at eight over, right, at the time.
1: But like, even for him, like you, you want to hit that putt in that moment where everybody's watching and celebrating you. He's got to be pissed that he missed the, so the putt.
0: I'm going to go ahead and pick the the storyline I want on Sunday. And that is Rory McIlroy and Dustin Johnson going head-to-head. Final pairing. For the British Open. I want Rory McIlroy, who's been most outspoken against the Live Tour, going head-to-head with Dustin Johnson, who left for the Live Tour. That'd be good. In a major American versus Brit, you know, versus someone from the United Kingdom, I should say, in Scotland. To me, that that would be the best possible scenario. Did they touch the Live interest? Tour in
1: the commentary today? I, I had it on, but it was they, I they wasn't really the players, listening. So,
0: I mean, I was watching, and they were showing you know Live Tour guys on the course and not saying anything, just as, as players. So
1: unavoidable if they're up there on the leaderboard, I would take that scenario. I think that'd be terrific.
0: Unavoidable also for Phil Mickelson not to get questions apparently repeatedly about Live Tour, and that happened yesterday, and and Phil got a little snippy with a reporter we'll we'll talk about that we'll give you at the british open leaderboard and we'll talk more about the texans settling for the 30 accusers that's coming up next